Welcome to Tales from 757 Podcast, Stories from Hampton Roads, Episode 2. 757 is not only the telephone area code for Hampton Roads, Virginia. For many, it's a state of mind, a way of being, but also very much a place with a past. Today's guest is Virginia Beach native Al Tuning, historian, author, actor, and reenactor. Today we continue with the story of the Fairy Plantation House, Part 2 of 2, including Henry the Ghost and Grace Sherwood, the Witch of Pungo. We talk about the Lynnhaven House ghosts, Adam Thurgood House and its ghosts, and a little bit about Al's draw to the ocean, some of his early experiences around and on the water. Al, please let's continue our story of the Fairy Plantation House. Thanks. Another ghost is Henry. All the plantations back in the 18th century were on water. The inland waterway connected them all. And to get from one to another, it was much easier to go by a ferry. So right. they all had a little dock out front and maybe a signal cannon or a bell or something that you would indicate you needed the ferry and it would come. And Henry was the house servant. So Henry would meet people at the dock and bring them up to the house. It was about maybe a quarter of a mile. Well, the whole neighborhood had been developed over the years. And once the house was getting built and being restored, one of the neighbors came over and talked to Belinda. said, have you all had trouble with vandalism? Belinda's like, no. Oh, okay. A couple weeks later, they came back over and says, you all go in our yard? No, what's the problem? She goes, somebody's moving our patio furniture. Are they stealing anything? No, just moving our patio furniture. So after a third time, Belinda walked over there with them. She looked at the house. She looked at the location of the dock, and she determined, well, this is the path that Henry would walk right. to escort the people up. And he's trying to make it convenient for his guests, so he's going to move anything out of the way. That's it. And they moved. Because of that. Wow, that's crazy. Do you know anything about the other, of the remaining of the 11? There's an infant, I believe, that cries. There's an old man, and Belinda's daughter kept talking about him, or no, granddaughter. Mm-hmm. She says, Nana, I don't want to go up there. There's a man up there. And who sure. wasn't? Yeah. I have this really eerie EVP, because we had, I was kind of taking a break, and I went out and sat on one of the benches mm-hmm. in the yard. I had my EMF meter, which really isn't significant of anything. It picks up electron magnetic fields, radio transmissions or whatever else, but it was very active. Got the recorder. So Mm -hmm. just as a lark, is there somebody here? Mm -hmm. And when I played it back, and I'm getting goosebumps now, just thinking about clear as bell, this voice goes, Henry. Whoa. (laughs) Cool. And and I've I've played that for people and they go, that's not real. I'm like, okay, I know it is. That's great. Wow. And, and Belinda knew them all. And she and a couple of her friends wrote a book called Ghost Witches and Weird Tales. And she talks more about it in that. Is Belinda still with us? She is not. Yeah. Unfortunately, she died of cancer. But uh-huh. she survived years after they told her, you know, you've got a week to live. Right. She is the one that is responsible for the statue of, of Grace, Grace Sherwood, Sherwood okay. that's up by the, by the hospital on uh, Independence Boulevard. Bronze statue of a, a young right. lady surrounded by animals. She's holding a basket of herbs, which right. goes into the Gray Sherwood story. She wanted to put that up at the house, but the local people, the, the neighbors, now all the all the occult people will come and worship this thing. So we put it at the church. Well, the church wouldn't wouldn't take it. So the hospital donated some property, and it's there. The church is right across the street. Right. So I guess the church felt guilty about 
We shouldn't turn anybody away. Right. Now the church has a plaque up in honor of I'm Grace Sherwood. <laughs> so the Linhaven House, that's another historic house? It is. Mm-hmm. And um, Since similar time period? Or? Yes. Okay. Memory fails to the name of the guy who lived there. It was not a mansion house. Right. Okay. It was just oh, a working okay. man's house. Yeah. In my Civil War group, once a year, we would go up and just set up an encampment on the lot. Right. The house is open for tours and all this right. kind of stuff. Both these homes are run by Virginia Beach Historical? Uh, no. The Ferry Plantation House is run by the friends of the Ferry Plantation oh, House. Okay. But the the city owns the property. The property. Okay. The city owns the Linhaven House. Okay. There's been some changes to it, doorways mm-hmm. added and this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But we would, we would set up uh, our encampment. And it was not uncommon to see a figure walk past the window, you know, when we were there. Sure. So, and then there's other there's other stories from the neighbors who say they've seen things. There's a graveyard in the back, and, and of course, anytime it gets foggy outside, people go, "Oh, it's, look at the graveyard." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that a more continuously occupied house than the Ferry Plantation? I think so. I think that was occupied up until maybe the '60s. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, two old. Sorry to be rude. Two old ladies mm-hmm. and their sisters mm-hmm. live there together. Yeah. Now, um, another city house, though, is the Adam Thurgood house, mm-hmm. which is not as old as they originally thought it was. And right. A lot of the initial claims to fame were proven not to be true. That would really been haunted. Um, several people have said that they see costume characters in the yard, which it's open to the public, and they do have costume characters right. that are there. But they'll say, well, I get out of the car because, oh, we didn't know the house was open. And then right. they, the house is not open. And it's not. Right. And there's nobody there. <laughs> you know, they'll see somebody walk around the back of the house and they'll say, oh, wait a minute, sir. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Histories and Haunts costumed interpreters bring history to life in a way that is both educational and entertaining. Perfect for ghost walks and lectures. We have 90-minute ghost walks where your scary teller will not only tell the historic information about certain locations, but will also tell stories about unusual occurrences that might lead a person to believe these places are haunted. We'll leave that up to you. Now for History with a Completely Different Twist, Histories and Haunts offers two lectures, Haunted Virginia Beach and Paranormal for the Normal. Each of these can be customized for your particular group. Hi. I'm Al Tuning, owner and creator of Histories and Haunts. Thank you for watching this video, and I hope you'll remember us when you're planning something special for a school presentation or a community event, or you're looking for a public speaker, or maybe just some good family fun. As you've seen, we have an awful lot to offer. If you have questions about anything on the website, please contact me and I'll respond as quickly as I can. Uh, Al, you have quite a background on the water in childhood, later as a fire captain, your whole life really. Please start with your earlier childhood and what drew you to the sea besides living by the ocean. Well, I, I think I've mentioned I grew up in Thalia, and our house backed up to the Buchanan Creek. And at nine years old, I had a eight-foot flat-bottom John boat with a nine-horsepower engine on it, and used to go out to Lincorn Bay and Crystal Lake and Back Bay and or Broad Bay, and just had an absolute blast. Sometimes actually venturing out into the Chesapeake Bay. Never told my parents about right. that. Kind of daring with an eight-foot John boat. It, it was. <laughs> when I was twelve, my grandfather died. And uh, he had a house in Urbana, Virginia, and my father bought part of the estate, including the house, and we would go up there and spend the summers, and up there we had a a little 16-foot runabout 
with a 75 horsepower motor on it, which was a big step up for me. And if I was a parent then, I, I, I guess I would have done the same thing. But you look at how careful we are now about make sure you have a life jacket and a radio and somebody knows your plans, where you're going to be and all that kind of stuff. When I was 15 years old, I was out in, you know, Rappahannock River, the Chesapeake Bay. There's no sight of land in any direction. And I had a seat cushion, no radio. Nobody knew where I was, no cell phone. And I just kept coming back. So I guess didn't screw up. I remember going out one time. Urbana had a liquor store. And across the water in Tappahannock was a dry county. And once a week, this big, I mean, big boat, we're talking probably 80, 80 foot, several decks high, would come across. We call it the whiskey run. They'd all come over to go to the liquor store. So I was out one day and the boat went by and huge wake. You know, I'm 15 years old. I'm thinking, this is going to be so fun. Yeah. Okay. So I went up on that wake, not realizing that on the other side, it wasn't the same level. Right. You know, the wave's three feet high on one side. It's 12 feet high on the other side. And so I'm just, my boat is hanging in the air for what I felt like the coyote in the road runner where he steps off the cliff and there's that long period of time before he falls. And I'm like... Oh, God. Yeah. Again, I survived that. Obviously, guardian angel. So, I mean, that was that was freedom. I ultimately, um, as an adult, had my own boat, an 18-foot runabout with the inboard. Mm-hmm. I called it Gypsy because when I was with Gypsy, I could just go anywhere I wanted to and, and nothing really mattered. And again, running out of Linhaven Inlet and going out in the bay and go over to the eastern shore and go fishing or, or scuba diving. When I was a kid... There was a shipwreck outside of Lynn Haven Inlet. Right. And when I was a kid, the story was it was a pirate ship. And in my little eight-foot John boat, I used to go there and go diving on it, hoping to find something. And diving meant holding your breath and going down, you know, with your eyes closed, just groping around. Sure. <laughs> and I felt what, in my imagination, were cannonballs and cannons and all this kind of stuff, which no way I could have gotten it out of the water. Now that I have Gypsy, I'm able to go out to the offshore wrecks and all that, and now... When I go diving, it was with scuba gear, and I'd always take somebody with me. Um, right. You were a little safer by then. A little safer, yeah. Firefighter by profession, so st- still stupid. <laughs> I think one of my favorite memories was one time I had our, our dog Saffron out on the water, and I was drift fishing, and these dolphin came up alongside the boat just playing. And Saffron looked over the side of the boat, and one of the dolphins just came right up and just stopped right under him, right under her, and they just looked at each other. Again, it's one of those things that seems like forever. It was probably four or five seconds at the most, Mm -hmm. but it just looked like they were communicating. I was just very moved by that Sure, for some reason. Well, yeah, we often hear about animals, how they can communicate with each other and different. We see Coco the gorilla had a pet kitten and all these other things that are pretty amazing to us as humans who don't understand a lot about nonverbal communication. So what happened to Gypsy in the end? I'm in the fire service and I live over in Ocean Park. My boat is kept at the Linhaven Marine dry storage. And I wake up one morning and I go out to get my newspaper and there's ashes on my driveway. And I'm thinking there must have been a brush fire or something somewhere. I go to work at the station. The station's empty. And uh, I find out that the dry storage marina had caught fire during the night. And the ashes had blown probably two miles. to That's what was on my driveway. Wow. So... I was told to wait until the rest of my crew showed up and then take the pickup truck down to the marina and relieve the guys that had been there most of the night. And somehow I had in my mind 
my boat would be fine. It would just, this guardian angel that had looked over me all my life would also look over my boat. And if everything else was gone, my boat would be fine. But when I pulled up, there was nothing that resembled a building or a boat. I think there were 400 boats that were destroyed. Wow. It was amazing. I mean, they're, they're, they're stacked up like cordwood with gasoline in them. Right, so, I mean, right, right. And, and no sprinkler system in the building. Right. That's a hot fire. Yeah. It is. But I had insurance. Unfortunately, my custom-made rods weren't insured, and the radio equipment wasn't insured. So that's one of those things. It's like the... Um, the worst day and the best day of your life at the same time. You, you hate to lose it, but then you know, I really spent a lot of money on that boat. And yeah. Boats being the uh, so-called large hole in the water that you pour money into. Indeed. <laughs> so that was the closest you ever came to a, a personal shipwreck. Your own, not really a wreck, but burning up. And was a, that was a heck of a fire. Tune in next time when we'll continue our conversation without tuning Thanks for joining us on 757 Tales, Stories from Hampton Roads.